want to start a, uh, a series. I've, I've been having I've been having thoughts about uh, just identity. I think over the, the the season that we've come through, and I hate re- referencing it, but let me be honest with you, it's affected a lot of people. It's affected people. It's affected people even in ways we don't even realize. I was um, I was talking to my brother-in-law the other day in Phoenix, and as we were chatting, he was saying that uh, somebody very close to him called him. Now, he's a worship pastor at a, at a church there in Phoenix and called him. And in, in the course of the conversation, they just said, is this the way it is from now on? Is, is, because they, they are part of a, of a, a huge church, a huge church. They were like running like four services a weekend and, and like Two, three thousand people, you know, auditorium, and they've got about twenty-five percent that have come back. Now, my thing is, um, you know, I know there, that, it, that God does what God wants to do, but the thing is, is this situation has affected people in ways that it's like, what's the point? There's some people I've run into people, and in the course of the conversation, they don't say it this way, but it's implied. What's the point? You know, I haven't been to church in X amount of months or a year, and look, I'm doing just fine. And here's the deal. Okay. Okay. But the thing is this. We lo- when we lose our identity because of crisis or a situation or a problems in life, I don't care whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a bad report from the doctor or it's a divorce or it's a bankruptcy or whatever, when we lose our identity in Christ, we start down another path. We begin another journey, and it's like, you know, I've not, been down, I've not been this way before. The question is, is who's leading us? Who's leading us? And I think that's the thing. You know, we have to find our identity, and that's what I want to talk about today, and we'll see. I'm thinking that probably go forward with this thought, because I think we, when we lose our identity, I remember uh, Dana was probably, oh, I don't know, probably 35 years old, and um, he just was going through some struggles. And, uh, you know, the kids were little. And, you know, I was busy at the church. She was busy at the church at that time as well. And her dad was the pastor of the church at that time. And, and her mom was here. And everybody knew Dana through somebody else. Everybody knew that Dana was, oh, that's Tom's wife. Oh, that's Rachel and Sarah's mom. Oh, that's pastor's daughter. Everybody knew Dana, through, and Dana said to me one day, and just not that she was, didn't want to be any of those things, it's just she said, I don't even know who I am because I used to, I used to have an, an identity, uh, you know, a direction, a dream, and a vision um, that wasn't just based on what other people have expectations on my life for, and she struggled through that. She obviously came through that, but the thing is, is it can happen in just the natural progression of life, or those times happen we come to the place where it's like, I don't even know who I am. Here I am. I'm, uh, we just came through this, and people not, you know, like I was saying, the, the person that, that my brother-in-law was talking about, it's like, I, do, I, do I even go to, go to church? Why would I go to church? I haven't gone to church in a year. It doesn't change my life. Nothing matters in some people's lives when they go through a situation, a difficulty. So today, I want to just, uh, I want to look at uh, 2 Corinthians too, and, but let me just kind of set this up a little bit because I want to talk, Paul gives us 
a bit of a perspective of who we are, of who we are in, 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 in Christ, in Christ. So let me just kind of get started here. Uh, and basically, the verses that, uh, that we're going to look at, um, basically, Paul's he's really talking about the identity uh, of, of people as Christians in Christ. So Paul starts, he starts out uh, by talking about, in, in 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to go back there, but the letter of 1 Corinthians, he writes this letter after he'd been there, he'd started the church. Uh, he learns about dissension in the church. There were lots of issues. They were tolerating gross sin. Things were going on in the church that was like, what? And, and so he had to deal with that. And so uh, there were some people... They were, he, he addresses or calls them, in, in some translations, super apostles. And they were judging Paul's uh, effectiveness. They were judging Paul's uh, handling of, of the church in, in Corinth. And so uh, basically, people there were talking about, well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and, and uh, a lot of things were happening. So if we fast forward, Paul writes to them, and he calls it a tearful letter. He says, I write you this tearful letter. My heart's breaking for you. And, he, and he's calling them out, telling them, look. Now, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out today. I'm just going to tell you where Paul was writing from. Because when we get into 2 Corinthians 2, you've got to know a little bit of the background. He's dealing, he's had to deal with situations that were going on in this church that he had planted years before. So now here he is, he's writing this uh, second letter to the Corinthians, um, right on the heels of, of the first letter. And so he's re, he says that he's rejoicing that that letter that he wrote moved some of them to grief and that they, that they came back, that they, they repented. They, they began to see, man, we've been being led astray. We've been being led astray. We've been allowing things uh, that we should not have been allowing. Uh, so apparently uh, Paul leaves Corinth uh, after the first letter, and then some other leaders had come in, and they just began to boast about themselves. They began to boast about how great they were, how powerful they were, their ministry, their gift, their calling. And basically, Paul begins to, to talk to them, uh, talk about them, just saying, look, these guys, man, they're, they're using the wrong measuring stick. They're talking about Paul. And they're, they're basically saying things like, look at Paul, he's weak. He's weak. He, he struggles with, with a lot of weakness, and, and he's always talking about he's suffering with pain. And I don't know if that was altogether true, but the thing is, obviously, Paul's thorn in the flesh that he talks about was pretty evident to everybody. We don't know what it is. It could have been his eyesight. It could have been he walked with a limp. Maybe he, had a, maybe he needed a hip replacement. They couldn't do it in those days. I don't know. But I'm just saying that he had something going on in his life. He calls it... Uh, uh, a messenger or a thorn from, from the devil, from, uh, buffeted by the, Satan. And so basically he, he's talking about what's going on there and, and it says that they cast doubt on his, these other guys, they cast doubt on his apostleship and on his authority with the, with the Corinthian church. Why are you following this guy? Why are you listening to this guy? So, so Paul, again, is writing to them, rejoicing about those that had repented, but he's also talking to them about corrosive thinking, things that were corroding their thought process because they heard this, they experienced that, they watched this, they went through that, and it's affecting their life. 
And they're beginning to take their identity from other things. They're beginning to look at other things. And so basically, he's, he's worried about them, and he talks to them, and he's telling them, look, these guys that are boasting about themselves and telling you how great they are and how wimpy I am and how I'm not the guy, they basically have a, a total lack of awareness of what's going on, of reality. They're blowing smoke, and they're trying to criticize Paul. Have you ever heard, I heard this this. this story, I heard a long time ago when I came across it again the other day, um, Muhammad Ali was sitting on an airplane going someplace, I don't know, back in the day, and he was sitting there and he didn't have a seatbelt fastened. And so a flight attendant comes down, she's checking and she goes, uh, sir, I need you to fasten your seatbelt. And he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she says, Superman don't need no plane either. Now buckle up. The, listen, these guys, they were like, look at me. And you've seen people like that. Here's the thing. Let's don't be like that. Let's not be like that. Oh, I don't need church. I don't need God. Oh, I don't need the Bible. You pray. You know, I have people. I pray when I need to. It's like we need to realize that we are a certain, God has called us to be who he's designed us to be. And we'll get into uh, just a couple of this because I can't hit everything today, but I have, do have some thoughts that we'll be looking at here in a couple of minutes. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm, I'm just going to make reference to this because this is where a lot of this was going on. You don't have to turn there. But in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, he talks about these super apostles comparing themselves to one another. Uh, they have the wrong measurement. They're, they're measuring according to the wrong thing, how boisterous they are, how, how cool they are, how this they are, and how, man, I'm strong, I'm healthy. Look at my muscles, look at my physique, look at everything going on. And he tells them that here's the deal. Look, God has assigned to every person an area of influence. You included, me included. I don't have to be whoever I think maybe my hero might be or someone that I, my mentors might be, that I emulate them. God has created us to be us. We are individuals. You don't have to measure up to the strongest person emotionally or the strongest person physically or the strongest person in whatever area you might be looking at, God's given us a sphere. He's given us a, a, a certain area of influence. And here's how God measures it. Faithfulness to what God has assigned us to do. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to doing what God has assigned you to do. And you might say, well, I don't like doing this. Take it up with God. Well, you know what I want to do I, I, I want to do what, 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 what that's this person does. I want to do their life. So I'm going to begin to do what they do. God has given to every person. You might think that, you know, I, I can do more. I ought to be doing more. What I'm doing is, is insignificant. Let me tell you how God measures faithfulness. Doing what he told us to do and not comparing ourselves to others. That's what these other apostles were doing. So today, let's take just a couple of minutes and uh, let's look at three ways that Paul viewed his life, and I believe it's how we ought to uh, view our own lives. And so uh, let's just take a second. Let me read. This is uh, Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to read it out of um, I'm going to read it out of the NIV version. And he says, uh, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. No, that's not what I'm looking for. I've jumped too far forward here. I'll jump to, here it is, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, uh, 2, 14. 
uh, NIV, it says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal, triumphal process and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, we become the aroma that brings death. To the other, the aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? And who's worthy to do this? Who's, who can really do this? Well, God's equipped us to be that. That's who we are, whether we like it or not. Verse 17, unlike many who do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at three ways that Paul views life from that verse. And the first way is that Paul views his life as being a captive of Christ. A captive of Christ. I know some of the translations, it, it reads it different, but I like the NIV, the NIV version because the NIV version, verse 14, it says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives. I like to be led in the victory. You know, I like to be in the processional. But he says he leads us as captives. Now, let's just think about that a second. Because when he mentions that to the Corinthians, because he's writing this to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about a triumphal entry. Now, back in these days, and, and the Corinthians would have understood this, when, when a general or when, it, when a, a, an army was at war and they would win the battle and they would come back and they would come riding back into town or bringing everything back into town, uh, in the very front would be the general stand, you know, sitting on his horse or his chariot or however he's riding. And, and then you'd have behind him his soldiers and they would be marching in formation. And then behind them you'd have the captives in shackles or just whipped, walking, just walking just walking. But even within that, you also would have the king watching and you'd have everybody looking and all the people along the sides of the road would be spitting and sneering and criticizing and and saying all kinds of ugly things to the captives. Why? Because they were the enemy until they got defeated and now they're prisoners. Now they're captives. And you know where they're headed? They're headed to their death. They're headed to their death. Now, let's just stay with me just a second because you're saying, I'm so you're saying I need to identify myself with those guys? Yeah. And let me talk about it just for a couple of seconds because we have been captivated. We've been captured. We've been conquered by the love of God, by the mercy of God. I didn't win any battles to get myself to this place. I didn't win any battles to become you know, this person in God, I, I, yeah, I have really worked hard to become who I, you know what? I surrendered. The love of God captured me. I gave up. I surrendered to him. And so this verse, NIV, I like the way it reads. Let me read it again. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Paul doesn't see himself as a Roman general, triumphant. He doesn't see himself as a Roman soldier, battle-weary, but triumphant. Paul sees himself as one of the captives of war. He was captured. He gave up. He surrendered. He was captured. Captured and conquered by the love and conquered 
by the cross of Christ. The only other time this word triumphal is used in the Bible is in 2 Corinthians. Let me read this to you. I think it's on your paper there. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 13 through 15. This word is, like I say, only used twice, this particular word. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. We were indebted to God. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. Our sin, you want, I, the only way to pay for our sin would be to go to hell forever. The wages of sin is death. But Christ paid for that for us. He says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. He put them to open shame, triumphing. There's that word, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul saw himself. His identity was, I'm a captive. I'm a servant. I have been captured by the king. I have been captured. And the thing is, is think about where Paul was when he was captured. He was on a horse with papers in his hand going to arrest Christians. He was on his way to take and to attack and to, to, to put down this uh, rebel uprising uh, called Christianity. And when he's on the road to Damascus and the uh, the Spirit of the Lord knocks him off of his horse and blinds him, and he's lying there in this bright light. It blinds him, and, and he, he says, Who are you, Lord? <laughs> in other words, Uncle, I give. Who are you? I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. The voice speaks back to him. Paul was captured. You know, he was ambushed, if you want to say it that way. But he was captured, and he never saw his life different from that point because he didn't win a battle to find his way to Christ. He was captured by the love of God, by the forgiveness, by the mercy of God. And let me say this, that's one way that Paul kept himself in position of not trying to become haughty and proud and arrogant. Look at me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a great, I'm a lawyer, I can speak, and I'm, look at my writings, I've done this. Paul, you know his claim to fame, I am... Man, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the worst of all men. He saw himself as a captive, a captive. Paul acknowledged and reflects on where he came from. Defeated by love and hopeless without Christ. He knew that's where he was. And he says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. He's triumphed over my will. Has he triumphed over yours? Or are we still going to do what we want to do and if God fits in, that's okay. I can't tell you what to do. Your spouse can't tell you what to do. We can say, hey, that's not a good thing or hey, that's a great thing. But no one, this is, you know, I have grandkids and they're, they're, they go through stages and and here, here, here's one of the stages. My, that's mine. <laughs> Those are my toys. That's my animal. That's my stuffed animal. It's like, no, 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 but no, no, no. no, no. Those are, let, share your toys, share your toys. Here's the thing. This is my will. I was born and I'm the one that's gone through the struggles and the problems that I have gone through. And nobody, by golly, is telling me what to do. Okay? 
Paul saw himself as a captive. He was captured by Christ. He surrendered. And see, I know some of us go, well, I guess if I ever get to that point, I'll do it. Life is tough with or without, without, with or without Christ. But with Christ, we always know that he never leaves us or ever forsakes us. We've been created with the purpose. The identity that Paul never lost, and I believe it's the identity that we need to embrace, is that we are captives. There's a scripture, uh, let me see here, it's Philippians 2, verse uh, 5 through 8, tells us that uh, in your relationships with one another, because he's, he's telling us, let me just preempt this a little bit, uh, Christ is saying that uh, I'm being led. Uh, Paul's calling uh, these people to have the same mindset, the same mentality that he has, because he has the same mindset set in the same mentality that Christ had. And he says, this was Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, he was God. He was God. And it says he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing in taking on the very nature of a servant. That word is bond servant, and that word means one who gives himself up to another's will. Taking on the nature of a bond servant, being in the made in human likeness, being found uh, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and become becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul saw his calling the same as Jesus had, and he's encouraging us. We need to have that same mindset. We're bond servants. That doesn't mean we're dumb, and it doesn't mean we're, we have a, uh, you know, a beat down, I'm beat down, oh, I'm serving the Lord, it's so miserable. It's just that I don't make decisions for the direction of the way I live. I think God does give us room to have what we like, to enjoy life without a doubt. But is Jesus in control of your life, of your, control, uh, of your purse strings? Is Jesus in control of the decisions you're making for the next 10 years, 15 years, the next 15 minutes? Is he in control? Because let me tell you what, not right now, a bondservant didn't go, you know, I think I'm going to be gone a couple of weeks. You what? Uh, I was going to step away for a while. Um, no, you're not. That's how Paul saw himself. Now, we don't have, God is not a hard taskmaster. He's not this, this God, this, this uh, master who, who puts pressure on us to break us, but it's the identity that if we take this, God opens doors. Our lives are so much better when we see ourselves under God's covering and under God's leadership. And so Paul says, I rejoice in this because I'm walking the same path. Uh, I've got several verses here. Uh, John 15 uh, says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. You know, I don't want to be hated. I don't either. Well, see, but if I live that way, if I live to please God, people are going to go, what a weirdo. Okay. I look at people living their lives for themselves, and I think, what a real weirdo. The decisions that they make, I'm thinking, what's the future? What's that? They live for the moment. People without a, a, an eternal value in their heart they live for the moment. They live for the next thing. Do you know what's going to happen when you do that? I ain't worried about it, man. I'm just looking for a buzz right now. I'm just looking for some fun right now. I'm just looking, man, I just want to. There's repercussions. But if we live as a bondservant, God orders our steps. Christ orders our steps. So then Paul views his life as being a captive of Christ. 
Let's go to the second one here, and this is these other ones go pretty quick. We're the aroma of Christ. The aroma. You know, when when um, when my kids were little, Joe and I were talking about this this morning. When, when our kids were little, um, they would come up to the church, and uh, Pastor Messer, their grandpa, would would take them, their papa. He would take them to go get ice cream, and they'd go get ice cream. And when they'd come back, they'd come back and they get in the car, whatever we'd go, come to the house. And you know what they did? They smelled like Peppa. He wore this cologne called Aramis. And it's like, you know, it's like, well, they've been with Peppa. If I didn't know where they were, they come, they've been with Peppa. There's an aroma. And our lives, and I'm not even talking about a natural aroma. I'm talking about when you get into a situation, you bring something. We bring something. We bring something. And especially when we are living for Christ, let me tell you what happens. We create, there's an effect. There's something that happens when we are living for Christ, when we are living, and I'm not talking about being a religious weirdo. I'm just talking about living our lives to honor God. We make decisions that are moral and righteous. We make decisions that, that, that are according to the word. But what if, what if the world says that those are, well, that used to be illegal. That used to be wrong. It's not wrong anymore. Well, the Bible says this, well, you're a weirdo. You know what? There's man, they've passed laws. That's legal now. Okay, enjoy. This is how I have to live. There's an aroma that our life brings into relationships and brings into our workplace. It brings it into our surroundings when we live for Christ. An aroma. And this is what Paul says. Verse 15 there in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the, one who, to the one we are an aroma that brings death and to the other an aroma that brings life. Who is equal to this task? Is, in other words, see, when, when, when you make a decision, when you begin to walk out your faith in your Christianity, it... it it gets a reaction. Some people go, oh, man, I'm so glad to see you. They may not even know why. They just, they love you being around. And then other people, they won't even talk to you because it's like, dude, you, you're, you're nothing but a, you're a, you're a thrill killer, man. I talk about this and you go, dude, you don't want to talk about anything fun. You don't want to do anything fun. We're the aroma of Christ. People know but by the way we live because of the aroma or the fragrance that, that, that is created. And I'm not even talking a physical smell. I'm talking about your, a spiritual fragrance. The Corinthians would have immediately understood this as well because when, when a triumphant processional would be going on, as, as we just described, the, the general and the soldiers and the captives Right there alongside in the very front, they would have incense burners and censers, and they would be burning incense, and it was a specific smell. So the king would smell it and go, smells like victory. The, 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 the uh, general would be smelling, oh, smells like victory. And the soldiers would be going, yeah, we did it. Smells like victory. And the guys in the back would be going, smells like death to me. I know where we're headed. See, the thing is, is this is not heaven. And the sooner we can settle that, and I'm not saying let's have a, a mentality of, oh, well, just let me get out of here then. Let me just take my life. I'm going to live 
every day as long as I can and probably some days after that. I'm, going to, I'm not looking to check out, but I'm saying this, that our lives, and it's not even about us seeing ourselves as the walking dead. It's seeing ourselves as that when people get around us, when people experience the identity that we carry, if we carry this identity, you know what it does? It makes some people glad and it makes other people mad. Because some people, and here's the deal, that's not my goal, and I never want to make people mad. Well, not sometimes I might, but not most of the time. I don't want to make people mad. I don't want people to look at my life and be offended. But let me say this, I can please God. You know, he, he says that this aroma goes in three different directions. It basically goes to three things. Number one, it says that we're the aroma to God, a pleasing aroma to God. When he looks at our life, when we are living for Christ, Smells good to him. It's pleasing. He's, he loves it. He loves it. And then the second area, or second place, it's an aroma to those that are being saved. It's hope. I remember when I came to Christ, the people that, that shared Christ with me, I can't say, oh, I smelt this aroma, but it was like I was so glad to be around them because they were giving me hope and life and they were stirring things alive inside of me. There was some, But then, since I've been saved, there's some people that avoid me now like the plague. And I checked, and I am wearing deodorant, so I know it's not that fragrance. It's the fragrance of commitment. The fragrance of, I will honor God under every and any circumstance. That's what God's called. That's our identity, church, that we are captives to the to, to, to the cross, captives to Christ. The second thing is, we are an aroma. And, and the thing is, is there was a, a quote, let me get this quote. I, I, I love this, this quote here. Um, it was actually uh, Tim Keller. Uh, he wrote this, uh, came across this, and so I wrote it down. Tim Keller says, there's three wrong approaches uh, to the world today. And for those of you that are sitting here today, you know the world's different. Is it better, is it worse? It's just different. And so what's our approach? Well, this is some of the approaches. These are all wrong approaches, let me just say, first of all, to hunker down and to escape the culture. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm out, man. I want nothing to do with this place. I'm done. I don't want to hear nothing. I don't want to see nothing. I don't want to be around anybody, but only people that agree with the way I think. I'm only going to do that. Um, That's all. That's the wrong approach. And then there's the approach to assimilate to assimilate with the culture, to become a part, to be a, become a part of it and to, to just kind of, you know, let's just let it ride. You know what? Uh, you know what? Things are different. I know they're different. The culture's changed, and we change with the culture. I'm a captive of Christ. My culture is, is found in, the, in, in God's plan, in God's promises, in God's word. And so the second, cult, the second way is uh, to, to assimilate, just blend in and fit in. That's wrong. And the third one is to take up arms and to try to attack the culture. And I've seen that a lot. I've seen that a lot. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm gonna, we're going go, to go burn that. Pl- not, I haven't seen it, but you see it on the news. You know, blowing up things and burning down buildings because we're going to, man, it's like we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's, that's where our battle is. So what is the approach? And this is what Tim Keller says. Let me just, uh, he says, uh, 
That's not the way to, 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 uh, to deal with it. He says, you follow Jesus as a captive and your life will spread an aroma. Your life will spread an aroma as we follow Christ as a captive, as a bond servant. See, God has put you in people's lives that you'll serve and they hate your Christ. They hate your Jesus. They hate your faith. They may not say it, but they treat a lot of us with disdain, with, with belittling and whatever. But God has given us the ability to be a bondservant for Christ. And I will serve where God puts me. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say, and you know, if people beat up on you physically, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about people. See, remember the, the, the illustration? Uh, you got the general, that would be Jesus. And then you got the soldiers, whoever that is in the process, the angels, I guess, and then us following him. What's happening on the way to the end of this journey? Sneering, criticizing, putting us down. But you know, here's the thing. They're smelling, some of them are smelling something different. Some of them are smelling the, the love of God. Some of them are smelling the, the kindness of God. And others are smelling death. They're looking at our lives and they're saying, what? A waste. You are so smart. And you, you're just going to be a Christian? You're just going to, man, if you would just kind of give a little and take a little, you know, you could go far. You could be in charge of so many things. You could be the president. No, thank you. You could be so good. You could be so smart. You could be so rich. You could be, you could be, you could be. What a waste. And it's just like you just died and let everything go. When we, be, when we decide and make a decision that my identity in Christ is to live as a, as a captive. And here's the thing. God takes captives all the way to the top. He doesn't, they don't stay, you know, uh, battered down and beaten down. Paul, we're talking, to him, talking about him 2,000 years later. And he says, I'm a captive of Christ. I'm being led in this processional. I'm a captive. He owns my life. I was indebted and he paid my debt. He owns me. We're talking about him 2,000 years later. You know why? Because God raised him up. He lifted him up. The last one quickly is that we're ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors. It looks like Paul's kind of blown away a little bit here. And he says in uh, verse 16, 2 Corinthians 2.16, he says, to the one the aroma of, that brings death and to the other the aroma that brings life. Who is equal to such a task? Who is, is, who's prepared? Who can do this? Man, look at my life. God is using us. God is using us to influence others for eternity. Who's equal to the task? Oh, man, I, man, I, I don't want that responsibility. You, you hear you know, people in the medical profession, and, and you think about them, and you hear, but you think about them, and you think, you know, they... And they make the life and death decisions every day on surgeries and things. And not that it's, it's like they have to make this decision or that decision. And it's like, in a sense, people's lives are in their hands. Well, as Christians, people's eternity, the, the ability to influence them for eternity, it's an honor. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity that God has given us. And if we live our lives as a captive of Christ, I will serve him. You know, what if people say ugly things and what if people, whatever, undermine, I can't help that. God is on my, he, God is my defense. 
He is my, he's the one that will protect me. He's the one that goes with me through the valley of the shadow of death if need be. And so you've been born for such a time as this. God created you, every one of us in this room. God created you for his purpose. He orders our steps. Whether we take them or not, he orders our steps. He's commissioned you. Commissioned, meaning he's set you, he's created you for a specific thing. We're the aroma of Christ, the steward of the gospel. And as we do know, maybe we don't, but I'll tell you, the gospel is the power of God to save the lost. So that's, our, that's, that's what we're called to. And if we can live this life understanding that I'm a captive, what does that mean? That means that I just need to have a, a slave mentality, a broke down mentality. No, that just means that I look to the one that I'm a servant of. And I'm, my life is an aroma. And some people like it and some people don't. And that's not my fault. That's the way it just is. Just the way it is. Our lives are an aroma to the world. And the last thing, we are ambassadors. We are commissioned, we are directed, and we have been given the privilege to influence this world. That's our identity. That's part of our identity in Christ. Let me pray.